If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or a small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition. We demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or are looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of The Bunker Labs branding team. I'm fired up about today's episode of The Transition because I had an opportunity to sit down with Michelle Warner, a business strategist that specializes in helping entrepreneurs design tiny companies that are built to last. I first came across Michelle by way of LinkedIn after a current veterans and residents posted about a talk she gave to the current cohort. I did some research on her and was blown away by her content on helping founders navigate the entrepreneurial journey, particularly with regards to growth and how to design a business that aligns with your lifestyle. One of the key concepts she preaches is navigating the five stages of entrepreneurial growth, which include validating the business model, generating consistent revenue through sales, establishing your business's foundation with the team, getting set up for expansion, and then eventually multiply. And in this episode of The Transition, we break down each stage and how entrepreneurs can effectively navigate from one to the other. Entrepreneurship is hard, and I'm a big fan of business coaches, strategists, executive coaches, whatever you want to call them. There's nothing like having someone in your corner who's invested in your entrepreneurial growth. And after sitting down with Michelle and engaging with her content, I'm a fan. So before we hear from Michelle, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter on Substack at the link in the show notes. I release a newsletter twice a week, once on Tuesday mornings with actionable tips and advice you can apply in your own venture, and another one on Friday in order to share the latest podcast episode. On this Tuesday, I released part two of my newsletter on how to build a brand. So be sure to check that out and let me know what you think. Substack allows you to leave comments on the newsletter and podcast episodes. That way you can let me know your feedback and what topics you'd like me to cover either on the show or write about in upcoming newsletters. In addition, if you're interested in contributing to the newsletter with a post of your own, shoot me an email at mike at weareironbound.com. Correction, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by the MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. What's going on, everyone? I'm fired up today because I got to bring on Michelle Warner, a business strategist that designs companies that are built to last. And uh, if y'all know anything about me, you've probably heard me say it multiple times on this podcast. I'm a big fan of Jim Collins. And when I saw in Michelle's uh, uh, profile on LinkedIn that she designed companies that were built to last, I was like, I got to find this person out. And uh Thank you so much for having me. I'll, I'll take the compliment. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I saw one of the veterans in residence just write a prolific post about how amazing it was, uh, your talk that you gave to the cohort. And I was like, who is this person? You know, my interest was sparking. So once I went to your website, that was some dog whistle branding for me. And I was like, I got to get her on the podcast. So without further ado, Michelle, welcome to the bunker. Oh, thank you again. And thank you for having me in Bunker Labs. It was such a pleasure to be there when the cohort kicked off and be able to meet everyone. So thanks for having me on the podcast as well. I love this community. So 
what exactly is it that you would describe that you do? Uh, well, I build, I build companies that are built to last. And what I mean by that is that I look at entrepreneurs who are constantly in this ever-growing struggle. It's almost like this personality trait that we like to um, embrace, that it's always going to be hard and it's always going to be tough. And who knows if you know, the business is going to last. And I believe that there's a very systemic way that you can build a very strong business that is stable, that doesn't have a ton of drama in it, that pays you and that pays your family and it feeds your family. And you can do that and it can last for the long term. I call these real businesses, right? They're businesses that feed families, have healthy margins and don't cause us to work 80 hours a week. And a lot of people don't feel like that unicorn exists and it does. And I'm here to help people find it. How did you get into this kind of work? Oh, that's a great question. So I was the opposite of what I just described. Um, when I came out of business school, I actually started a tech company of my own and there was a ton of drama to it. It was, I was working 80, hundred hours a week. I was traveling 90% of the time and I completely burned out after five years. The company was wildly successful and it's still going and I love that, but I couldn't sustain it any longer. And so I left. And as I sat back and thought about that experience, I realized how many lessons I had learned and I started playing around with some other businesses. And I was like, wait, um, had I have stopped and taken a breath during that experience, I could have built this just as successfully, probably more successfully, and with a lot less drama. And so I started doing that for other folks because, you know, the cobbler has no shoes. So our own experience, we can learn a lot from it and recognize how you would help everybody else do that. And so that was really um, my inspiration was that my own experience going through that. And also some of my customers that I met during that time were folks who were trying to build businesses. Um, but they had absolutely no clue and absolutely no business background. And I was like, well, I have an MBA. A lot of my experience prior to my startup was in business development um, and helping some underprivileged communities get businesses up and running. I'm like, I know how to do this. And these folks are out on a ledge taking a chance and they just have no idea how to do this other than some grit. And I can be here and I can lend a helping hand. You know, it's funny. We were talking um, before we went live, but and I'll tell you, you know, for me, one of my goals in life is just to show up and enjoy my work each and every day as best as I can. And yeah. when you come into entrepreneurship, that's not necessarily what a lot of us are thinking about. You know, we get caught up in the idea we want to build a successful company. Well, what is a successful company? We're bringing in a certain number of revenue. You have a certain number of employees. And what I've come to call a lot of these things are vanity metrics. You know, it's yep. like, are you not enjoying what you do? So when I saw that you said tiny companies, I was like, oh, sparked my interest. Because if... Let's be honest. A lot of entrepreneurs are visionaries. They're people yeah. that can kick stuff off. They, they're, they're passionate, whatever. We're not necessarily the best at the day to day, you know, yeah. sending out invoices, managing payroll, all this other stuff that people tell us, oh, you should outsource. But as you know, if you're a bootstrapped small business owner selling, I don't know, handcrafted wellness products, right, at $20 a pop. You can't afford to necessarily go out and hire people and do all that kind of stuff. And so next thing you know, you're in this venture and God willing, you're able to do it full time, but you're not making a lot of money, you know? So yep. how do we create a, a business for ourselves that we actually enjoy showing up to each and every day? And that's why I wanted to bring you on the podcast because I just felt like a lot of your external branding align with this kind of philosophy that I'm personally chasing and that I know a lot of our listeners are as well. 
Absolutely. You know, when I and I do say those tiny companies that are built to last, and I also sometimes call them real businesses, which isn't fair, but it's just how I call it in my brain. Um, because as entrepreneurs, we have these grand expectations. It's like an all or not, nothing thinking. And we don't realize that we can have really manageable businesses that have really healthy margins and do pay us enough if we keep our eye on the prize, right? And are doing things in the correct order at the correct time and not getting grand ambitions. And I'm one of those people, I wait a long time before I outsource anything. And I have my clients wait a long time to outsource anything because if you outsource everything, you have no cash flow um, right away. And you're not able to, it's almost like being saddled with a bunch of debt, right? You just, your options are limited. And so as you can build slowly and intentionally, then you open up the cash flow and please like, you know, hire a team that can support you because now you know so much more about what you want. But if you don't want to build an empire, you don't need to. And you can still be very happy and be working a very manageable number of hours. Love it. Well, I'm excited to jump into, um, you know, the five stages of business growth yeah. and uh, yeah. networking that pays. But before we do that, I'm asking you to take off your armor, you know, give yeah. armor with our, with our listeners and let them know something that, you know, a lot of people don't see um, in a sense of that you're struggling with as an entrepreneur? You know, one thing um, that is not necessarily unique to me, but I'm going to point to the pandemic and a little bit of a, uh, a unique situation that I had. I have lived in Chicago and Denver and big cities my whole life. And right before the pandemic started, I actually made the decision to downsize to a small town in Wisconsin, right on Lake Michigan, because Lake Michigan is my love. But I got here in December of 2019. And I kind of said, oh, I'll just get settled for a couple of months. And then when the nice weather comes around, I'll meet everyone. Well, fast forward. And that was March, April of 2020. And we all know what happened then. And so now I'm working on month 18, 19, I can't even, almost two years of living here. And it's been a real struggle to meet folks. Um, and as an entrepreneur, that's hard because I do a lot of my work virtually. I am blessed with a very um, strong virtual support network. But I do have that feeling where work is taking over a little bit of my life, um, not in terms of hours, but just in terms of I don't have a lot going on outside of this because I'm really and I spent a lot of time this summer trying to meet folks. Um, so for me, it's that work life balance, not necessarily feeling saddled down by having to work all the time, but almost just working all the time by default, um, because I don't yet know enough people and it's hard to get to know folks. So since June and things kind of opening up a little bit, I've worked really, really hard to start building some relationships here. But that is something that's tough as an entrepreneur. Um, as much as I never want to go to an office on the regular ever again, that is an easy way to get to know people when you're in a new town. And so as an entrepreneur, I don't have that right now. I appreciate you sharing. I'll tell you, um, you know, I'm at my podcast studio. I have to get out of my apartment. Yeah. I just I'm just there. I'm like, oh, I got all this work to do and I don't do anything. It's just something that makes me lazy. And then yeah. also like you, and I'm going to be vulnerable and take off my arm as well, is that I also work a lot. It's like I don't watch TV. You know, it's like I get my dopamine from my venture. And I don't know yeah. if that's healthy because, you know, I was a, I went to a service academy. I went to a military college, you know, so it was very regimented days. You know, breakfast, class, lunch, class, workout, you know, dinner, and then you're working until 11, 12 o'clock at night. And so a lot of me and my peers, that's kind of our lifestyle. But like, I have a girlfriend, you know, I have all this other life to live. And so I'm struggling with that as well. And I haven't exactly figured out, which is, again, we go back to this tiny companies that are built to last of, you know, how can we 
create a profitable business that allows us to spend time with our loved ones and do all this other stuff, but also, you know, be proud of what we're building. Yeah, it's such a tough balance. And I, and I laugh at myself even now because I feel like I have that tiny company that's built to last. It's ready to go. And then I look around and I'm like, oh, but I don't have anything else to do. I'm starting to now and that's fantastic. But over the past year, you know, it was it, it almost felt like a cruel joke. So I'm like, I finally reached that goal where I have all this time to spend with other folks. And now I'm still just shut in my apartment with my dog. So luckily, that's all all changing. Well, before we jump into uh, what we're going to talk about today, I got to go ahead and acknowledge Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military connect community start their own business. We're committed to seeing that every entrepreneur in the military connect community has the network tools and resources they need. You can learn more by visiting our website, www.bunkerlabs.org. Make sure you also register for Bunker Online, our social network for the military connect community where Bunker Lab staff helps make connections to increase your opportunities. You can register by clicking the connect button at bunkerlabs.org. Michelle, how did you get connected with Bunker Labs? You know, they heard me on a podcast and it was fantastic. So they, they reached out and asked if I wouldn't mind speaking at the cohort kickoff event in July. So it was a really neat opportunity to to get connected. Um, I have connections to the Naval Academy. I come from a little bit of a military family as well. So I have a lot of love for, for this community. And when I heard um, heard from them, I was excited. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, you listen to podcasts. It's like I got an endless amount of mentors. You know, yeah. again, I was taking knowledge from your stuff on the five stage of business growth. I took my own notes. So we should probably just start off right there. Talk to Let's our listeners it. about the, the five stages of business growth. I know you got it initially from Harvard Business Review and they wrote that article back in like 88, but you modified it to to meet the needs of today. And that's something I do. You know, as entrepreneurs, we love the latest and greatest. We always love growth hacks, right? But there is a wealth of information in the classics. And I always say, like, business is kind of a combination of actual business and art, right? I take my MBA background and I slap on it a bunch of entrepreneurial instinct and art. So you look at some of this Harvard research from the 80s, and it's still on point if you can apply it um, to, to what reality is today. And really what Harvard found was that every small business, and they, um, I believe they define that as 100 employees or less, um, every small business goes through five stages of growth. And one thing that I like to talk about is that when we get stuck as entrepreneurs, it's very much a sequence over strategy type of issue, right? It's not when you feel stuck, it's not about slapping on the latest LinkedIn or Instagram or marketing, whatever tactic. It's about actually understanding where you're at in the process of your growth and making sure you're properly focused on that. So when I looked at the small businesses that I work with right now, and I looked at those five stages of growth, I, I did, I, I updated it for what we see happening in the solo entrepreneur, small agency, small business space of, let's say, 10 to 15 to 20 employees or less, you know, million dollar or less companies and what they were going through. And when we can identify and name those five stages, then all of a sudden I see a lot of light bulbs going off when people feel like they're stuck and they feel like, oh, they're screwing up a marketing strategy or something. No, you're not screwing anything up. You are just doing the right things in the wrong order. And when we get you refocused and doing the right things in the right order, everything's going to change. I'll tell you, your podcast hit me in the feels, right? Because I mm -hmm. launched my media company, Ironbound Media, in June of 2020, right in the middle mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And we were profitable right out the gate. So mm -hmm. like I had just learned a lot about validating business models before you jump all in. And so then we're in this growth trajectory. 
right? But I just felt so busy and stuff was breaking. And I'm like, what's going on here, right? And then I brought on some consultants to help me get better at organizing, like systems consulting and processes. But what I found during that process was it was distracting me from what I needed to really be focusing on, which was what you said, the second stage of growth, which is sales and that predictable month over month revenue. So here I was trying to build out a team and mm-hmm. on board and do all this kind of stuff. And I was like, make Mike slow down. And I basically went back based off the information that you um, gave out. And I was like, I'm going to slow down. I'm not going to focus on trying to onboard all these people yet. Right. I just validated the business model, but let me refine it, massage it, really create something remarkable, you know, in the terms of Seth Godin, create that purple cow, get the yep. predictable revenue growing. And then I'll go. And then like today, it's like a Monday and I'm like, I'm very happy. That's awesome. I love hearing that. And you you nailed it. So there are five stages of growth, but most people are in the first three, right? The first is validate. And that happens really quickly. You're just validating whether your idea has any legs or not. And then the second one is sales. And the third one is foundation where you're building your operations. And this is always where people screw this up because they want to go from validate all the way to operations because we hear about having a team. We hear about standard operating procedures and how important processes and all this But that sales stage where you need to create predictable sales and predictable marketing systems, if you get ahead of that, you can screw yourself up really, really badly. Because if you start hiring a team and you start building processes for a marketing system that you don't know if it works or not, you know how hard it is to unravel all that when you figure out it doesn't work? Because now you don't know, is it the team? Is it the idea? Is it the tactic? You know, what part of it isn't working? And so when you're in that sales stage, and the sales stage can take a really long time, because what the sales stage really is, is it's figuring out product market founder fit, right? So as you get out there and you start marketing, you may discover that your marketing works, but you hate your product. And so you kind of have to go backwards and find that magical fit between what is the product that you like, the product that sells, and how you're going to sell it. And once you get to that process, then you can really double down on a team. Now, here's an important point. So I always say, oh, I don't believe in outsourcing until, you know, later on. You can get help during that sales stage. I just want you to know that it's probably temporary help and it's in an experimental vein, right? So it's not like you have to be working 100 hours a week if you have the cash to pay for help. Help, but don't go writing a million standard operating procedures. Don't go building out a team assuming that this is going to be the way it works. Get a couple of specialists to come in, help you experiment, just help you execute if you just need to get some emails out or whatever it may be. It's not that you can't have help. It's just you want to be in the mindset that you're going through a process of figuring out what is that predictable sales, which again, includes what is the product you actually want to offer. And then once you know that, then it's time to double down on your processes and your team. Why do you think that is? Why is it so like I'm, I'm trying to understand this even now because I have a business coach, too. And the way the old school used to operate, get these giant manufacturing plants. And what's the guy's name the, that does the like you count the number of widgets you're selling? How many widgets <laughs> yeah. do you sell this day? You know, you got the giant scoreboards and stuff. And yep. occasionally I have to be like, Mike, you're not there yet. Slow down, you know, bring it back. But it's just like. There's so much abundance of opportunity now for entrepreneurs to maintain lean operations. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting to me how of like, have we adopted the frameworks to meet the needs of this? Like, you know, there's lean startup, but like, what do you call lean small business? Yeah. 
It's, I mean, growing up in the tech world, I very much look at lean startup. And I think lean small business brings in what you were talking about at the beginning, our preferences, right? Because during that sales stage, back in the old days, like we may have just hammered through and been fine with a product that we hated or been fine with something that was profitable, but required us to work 80 hours a week. And I think right now, to me, lean small business and a tiny company that's built to last, that means you're happy too. And so that brings in a bunch of new factors into it that maybe hadn't always been applied before, but I think should be applied because there is so much opportunity and there is so much flexibility right now in the ways that we can make money, I see no reason why somebody should be making money doing something that they can't enjoy. Maybe in the 50s and 60s, that was true, right? Because there wasn't as much opportunity now. You maybe you couldn't be as agile. You couldn't be as innovative. It was just harder. But now you can do literally anything. So that is a new factor that's influencing stuff. One of the things I would love you to talk about is the importance of understanding the way sales and marketing work at the early stage, particularly for small businesses, because I know we like to think of these as like separate functions, but you know, I'm a fan now, like one of the biggest pieces of advice I give to entrepreneurs on this platform and you got to sell, you know, nobody teaches, particularly for us as veterans that are transitioning out, nobody teaches us the importance of selling. So we'll do all this marketing, you know, just stir up all this dust, make a lot of noise, but it doesn't necessarily lead to revenue. And so, you know, how do we, or how do you advise businesses to make sure that their sales and marketing are tied together, especially if they're the ones in a one man or two person company? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. Number one, it just takes practice getting uncomfortable because it's really weird. And I even had this experience between my startup and this business. This business is branded under my name. My startup was not. When I had to start selling my name instead of my startup, which were identically mine, it really messed me up. And so I think if you're trying to do something that's a little bit more forward you um, in your face, it can, there's just some mindset stuff. And my best way to get through mindset stuff is to just recognize it's going to be uncomfortable and take baby steps and know that that is playing a factor, right? You may have some resistance to selling because of imposter syndrome and because of all the things. As soon as you name that, you can start working through it. The other piece is to set up your marketing funnel with a sales component, right? Um, and understand that those are, they're all interconnected. I think I, when I say marketing, I actually mean sales as well. And when I work with my clients, we work in a three-phase approach to that funnel. Everybody has a funnel, looks different ways. But during a funnel, three things have to happen. Awareness, engagement, and sales, right? People need to know you exist. That's the awareness. People need to engage with you and like you. And then they need to sell you and then they need to buy something from you. You need to sell them something. Now, here's where we screwed up. And this is how you can connect it to make it easier for you. A lot of people take the easiest path possible through the awareness and engagement stages, right? We just want to slap some social media up. We want to do some advertising that is very passive. We just want to get as many leads as humanly possible. When you do that, people don't trust you very quickly. And so guess what? Your sale becomes really hard and then we avoid the sale. It's like we take this easy path through awareness, just take whatever strategy, like I can throw $1,000 at advertising and get 100 leads and I'm going to feel like they're going to buy something from me. They're probably not because you have gotten the leads as easily as possible. And so now you are climbing a mountain to get them to try to buy something from you because you have to talk them into it. And that is a really difficult, miserable sale. So I'm an advocate of flipping that and working really hard at the awareness stage. And then people already know, like, and trust you. And so guess what? 
the sale is basically just a conversation. Not only are you way more comfortable entering into that conversation, whether it be for a $20 product or a $2,000 coaching contract, the person has also basically already made up their mind. So it becomes a conversation, um, maybe not a literal conversation, maybe an email conversation um, or any however else you're selling, but it just it's over with at the awareness stage. And that's why I don't do, mind doing things like this, spending an hour with you on a podcast. This is a you know, awareness stage for me. I could easily like slap a PDF up on my website and send an ad to it and get a thousand people to download that. None of them would care. I don't know how many listeners you have on your podcast, but I'm guessing that they will trust me a lot more than people who download a 10-step checklist from my website or read a billboard ad, right? So I am willing to work hard at the awareness stage because I know that the experience is going to be so much easier. And then my mindset doesn't matter as much. I don't get it in my way as much when I go to sell. And it's just a much easier sell. The person is ready to go. You know, I'm a big proponent of a perfect customer. And that's something yeah. else we not talk about, right? And I think one of the challenges is for a lot of first-time businesses, what do we do? We mimic what we see other people doing. If Coca-Cola's making videos, we try to make a video. We try to make it all proper like Coca-Cola, you know, yeah. spend all this money on it. And then guess what? Nothing happens. We don't even know. We're not even aware that they're doing that for something, brand awareness that they can afford to throw money at it. You know, we have a budget of $100 for marketing and we try to pretend like we're Coca-Cola when everybody knows that we're not Coca-Cola. And yeah. the reason I like the perfect customer is you want customers that like, love you and trust you. Pay a premium for your product and service and tell everyone uh, how much, how amazing you are. And the problem when entrepreneurs make all this noise, trying to growth, 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 for what? You know, you yeah. want all these bad leads or do you want leads that like really want to work with you? Exactly. I call it the difference between a relationship and a traffic sale. The traffic sale is slapping billboards up, slapping ads up, you know, whatever that looks like, the Coca-Cola thing. And then again, your conversion is maybe going to be one or two percent and you are climbing this mountain to try to get the sale. And it's going to make you crazy. If you have a relationship sale, your conversion is going to be really high. You're not going to meet as many people, but it's all going to be a joy. And then during as you move through the sales stages, right, that second stage of sale, you can slowly get more efficient with that as you have more resources and as you learn more about your customers you can communicate with them in a really high value relationship building way that is more efficient, that doesn't you know, require you to show up as much, but you're still gonna have to show up. Like you are you. And to me, that's the difference in how to make a sale more doable. You are never going to want to ask for the sale if you are talking to people who don't yet trust you. It's miserable. It may as well be a cold call. Can you talk to us about some practical uh, strategies that some of your clients have done to increase their sales? Yeah. So first off is looking at and being honest with yourself, you know, are you running a relationship based business and trying to run it based on a traffic based funnel? So uh, say you are a coach or you have a small business, you have a small agency, you know, you need to work with 10 to 20 people at a time or even fewer. If you are out there running ads, you're out there trying to get a thousand people on an email list, you're focused on your Instagram feed, you're focused on your email list, right? Those aren't the ways to sell to five to 10 people. Instead, you want to look for ways, how can you meet those folks, whether virtually or literally in person, and just engage with them and have a high value conversation. And, you know, you will end up converting probably 70 to 80% of them into a customer. So be really honest with yourself that I mean, it sounds really boring. And I wish I could say, you know, 
post five more times a day on social media and your problems will be solved. It's really not that. It's being honest with yourself. The like 90% of the businesses I see have a mismatched funnel. They have a traffic-based funnel or they're trying to have a traffic-based funnel and it leads to a relationship sale. And that's just never going to work. It can also be the other way around. You know, if you need to sell 10,000 units of something and you're trying to build it in, in a relationship funnel where you're trying to talk to all 10,000 of those people, you know, good luck with that. And so it's really making sure that those two channels are lined up correctly so that your marketing matches your, your sales needs. Um, that is the biggest transformation that I see. And again, a lot of times that gets people into a really uncomfortable place because it means stop doing the easy stuff and start doing the stuff that requires you to be out there a little bit more. Yeah, Seth Golden says it best. He's like, nobody's signing up. Nobody's cutting you a 30-check invoice off of some traffic ad or something. Exactly. You know, those are people exactly. you got to get on the phone and get in front of and, and show your value. Exactly. And we all want to believe the opposite is true, right? I called it the build it and they will come strategy if you're a baseball fan and have seen the movies, right? If you build that stuff, nobody's coming. If all you're building are all these passive marketing channels, nobody cares, um, yeah, they, they want to meet you. And then again, like down the line, you can slowly build up to that. I'm not saying you can never have it. It's just really, really hard to come out of the gates with that strategy. So once we make it through sales and marketing, what's the next phase? Uh, so foundations, that's when you really get to sink in and say, okay, this is working and I like it. And now it's time to look at building your team and building your standard operating procedures so that everything runs a little bit more smoothly and can grow. So I'm not going to lie to you, that sales stage, it can be a little messy. Like we're making stuff up on the fly. We're making decisions. We're realizing we hate our business and changing our product mix. All of those things are happening. So you have to stay really agile um, and innovative during the sales stage. But once you get to the end of the sales stage, kind of the last sub stage of the sales stage starts bleeding over into the foundation. And that's when you say, yeah, this is what we're doing. And now we can focus on selling this thing and just be always be selling. We no longer have to wonder what that thing is going to be. We no longer have to be in experimentation mode. So if this is what we're selling and this is how we're selling it. Who do I need to support that? Right. And so then you can start thinking about who, what team members can you bring in on a permanent basis? Um, you know, what kind of operating procedures can you put into place? What kind of automations can you put into place so that things just start happening? So it frees up your time and you're not constantly doing all the things. So I read a lot of Mike McCallowitz, you know, profit yeah. first, and then he wrote the clockwork. And one of the things that he made me aware of is the old way of documenting SOPs was you write this big manual and then nobody reads it versus yeah. now the more important thing is capturing it. So whether yeah. you get it on video or whatever else. So, you know, I watched, the, I listened, I read the book. I do like one or two Loom videos. And that was like five months ago. How do you yeah. make people, how do we actually do the work, do the SOP stuff? Have you seen people come up against it and then finally get over that cliff? Like, how do we make that happen? So a couple of things happen. Number one, if that's happening to you, and I mean, arms, right? Like it's happened to me too, where you do the two Loom videos and then you forget. It's probably because you're doing it too early and you don't have a team that's relying on having them um, or you don't have the capacity as a team to care about whether it stays updated, right? Because you're in the chaos of trying to figure out what your predictable sales are. So of course you don't have time to worry about whether your SOPs are perfect. So at that stage, it is great. Just do a Loom video occasionally once you have to teach someone, otherwise you're winging it. That's the reality of that stage. But when you get to foundation, you have erased 90% of what has occupied 
occupied your brain because now you have answers for those things. You know what you're selling. You know how you're selling it. You just need to execute that. And the release from your brain is really substantial at that point, right? Because you just don't have to worry about so many things. So now you do start caring a lot about your SOPs. Um, and it really bothers you if people screw it up or you have time to do that and you have time to pay attention because that's what your focus is on is now it's on freeing your time because you know how to direct people. So again, it comes back to the very unsexy, boring topic of just doing it in the right order. If you're doing it in the wrong order, of course, you're not going to keep up with it because your mind is occupied by too many other important priorities. So once we get through foundations, the next thing is expand. And to be honest, expanding gives me just the idea of expanding gives me a headache. You know, well, I, I think when I first became an entrepreneur, I was excited about, oh, yeah, man, let's build this massive thing. But now I just look at that. I'm like, that's a headache. Here's the good news. Um, stages four and five, which are um, expand and multiply. Those are the points where you're really scaling and you're really like going from a small entrepreneurial business into like a proper company. But here's the good news. To be a tiny company that's built to last, you can stop after stage three. I mean, you can be a million dollar, $10 million business that just gets to stage three and doesn't worry about anything else. Because once you get those SOPs and those foundations in place, if you're cruising along with that, you can very easily be a team of 10 who's just following along foundation and then you're good because you value you know, your lifestyle. Or if you want to build into like a proper corporation or if you're a tech startup and you really want, you have like an exit plan or something, then you keep going um, into true scale where you're looking at hundred, you know, what does it look like to have a hundred employees, to have a thousand employees, to have 10,000 employees, but you don't have to go there. So if it stresses you out, it stresses me out. I have no desire to have a stage four or five company. Um, I have a lot of desire to have a high stage three company. Um, if you have no desire, you don't have to go there. And I think that is one of the gifts of, again, the opportunities that are in front of us as entrepreneurs right now. For our listeners that might be at that stage four and stage five, what would you um, advice give? What advice would you give to them? I would just give them the advice of making sure they want to be there. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be at that stage, but some people assume they have to go to that stage. Um, so number one, make sure that you're there intentionally. And if you are there intentionally, then again, like sink into the, what your priorities are at that time. And in those moments, your priority in stage four is really, again, like it's building more team and really focusing on your culture and focusing on making sure everybody is pushing in the same direction. Because when you're going from 10 to 20 employees to 100 employees to 1,000 employees, that's when culture can really bite you in the ass, frankly, because um, you cannot be everywhere and you cannot be running everything. And so that culture that you have been able to direct over 10 people is now going to start to be multiplied by, you know, a traditional org chart. So how can you sink into your mission, your vision, your values, your culture, and make sure you don't lose that as you grow? That's one of the most important things that people, everybody who comes on, everybody who continues is sitting in that culture. And then when you get to stage five, you're thinking about, you know, do I want to go to um, a real corporate model, or do I want to have an exit? And again, you want to be really intentional. What's your end game here? Do you want to retire as CEO of a corporation? Do you want to sell this thing? Um, do you want to build a family business out of it? You know, you want to start thinking about what is my exit plan? And that's where you want to be, um, be focused on as you continue to build that culture. So just to recap, right? Stage one is validate the business model. That means you have somebody that's you have a product or service that somebody has already paid you for. 
right? Yep. That's validate. Stage two is sales. Get that predictable revenue to where you know how much money you have coming in month over month. Stage three is is foundation, foundation. right? Yeah. Foundation. You start to document your SOPs, procedures, start onboarding teams, make a really good company that works. It's not broken. It, it might be raggedy, but it's not broken. It works. Yep. And then from there, we have expand, which is, you know, maybe you start to scale a little bit and then multiply. You go into the stratosphere, go into that, yep. you know, massive takeover or that multi-million dollar or billion dollar exit. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that stage one happens really fast for most companies and it's the stage two. I keep coming back to stage two because that's where folks get stuck. And that's where entrepreneurs, frankly, go out of business. That's where small businesses, if they're going to run into trouble in the first five years, that's why they run into trouble because they can't get through that stage two. So that is the one that I tend to be really focused on in my work um, because I never want people going out of business just because you don't know how to navigate through a sales stage. That's terrible. Let me ask you this. I know it's the five stage of business growth for small businesses, yeah. but you and I both know a lot of companies roll out and want to be a tech startup. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, through their journey of trying to raise capital or whatever else, they realize that, you know, it's an insult. They're like, oh, you're a lifestyle business or you're a small yeah. business. And it hits them in the fields. They're like, ah, you know, but have you helped tech companies navigate this kind of space in a similar way? Yeah, well, I was a tech company. So I helped myself as I shared. I don't know that I helped myself in the best way possible because I burned out terribly. Um, and I've really moved away from that just because I think that is, you know, they're very different animals. Um, a tech startup and a small business. So a tech startup, once you get into funding rounds, um, there there is different stuff that happens. So I do not really get involved with tech startups at this stage because I just want to make sure that I am really focused on who I'm focused on. Either way, though, I, I've done a lot of incubators and accelerators, and they'll sit up there and the pros will tell all their different marketing frameworks and their all this other stuff. And it's just like, I wish you'd somebody would have just had that, what you had first of like, go out and violate your business model. You're really making it up. It's a hypothesis. You think that this is what people want, but they're going to tell you with their dollars. And we should spend more of our time focusing on that, getting paying customers than we are in here theorizing. And then from there, it's about getting predictable revenue. And I know we kind of we went over it, but I just want to make sure our, our listeners understand. I think when we talk about small business, one goal that really helped me out early on was how much money do I need to bring in month over month to cover my living expenses? That's the yeah. predictable revenue goal. And then that's one goal. And then from there, it's like, OK, how much money do I need to bring in month over month to bring on more team members or et cetera, et cetera? Then you start to kind of tackle it bit by bit. And then you say, oh, well, how do you do that? That means I need a client. You know, let's say, can you give us an example of like a client you helped? I'm, 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 I am I'm, feel like I'm hogging the mic on the. Oh yeah, no worries. Um, a client that I helped get through these stages. Or the month over month revenue and get, get their, increase their, uh, their predictable sales. Um, yeah. So again, it all comes down to kind of getting people reoriented into what what they're doing. And so I have a client recently who works with teachers um, and every, you know, teachers need a lot of different types of support. And so she's really good at different ideas. And so what she was doing, she had this unpredictable revenue because she was constantly rolling out a new offer. And when we started working together, she sent me a spreadsheet of 25 different offers and the different ways that they all interacted with each other. And she had 
wildly unpredictable um, income and about five different perfect customers. And so what we did was we, and she was stuck at, I think about a quarter of a million dollars and really couldn't get past that. And her answer to that was constantly adding a new product. And so we rolled that back and I said, Hey, um, you know, let's figure out what the product suite is, the core product suite. And I think we ended up with six products, how they were kind of bundled together. And then she's just continually only talking to one kind of customer um, with that product suite. And she's able to just get into a rhythm. It's not completely predictable in terms of her launches yet. But it's completely predictable in terms of who she's talking to, what she's doing. And over nine months, she is on track to be doubling her revenue. So that's going to be a place where it's pretty predictable, right? We have her lead generation coming in predictably. She knows exactly what she's asking people to do and how she's explaining that to people. So instead of confusing her audience by constantly adding something new, she's scaled back and doubled down on being able to tell them, you know, here are the three different ways you can work with me, which one is best for you. And she explains to them which one is best to them based on who they are. And she's able to just ongoingly talk about that over and over again. And it's really allowed her to focus in on her marketing. I love that too, because um, the nice thing about the nice thing about what you just said is that a lot of people struggle with it. You know, yeah. they just, they struggle with the, the getting the, getting the predictable revenue going, but you just make it simpler. And, you know, exactly. it's so much easier without having 25 offers. Oh, you know, you got all the paperwork over here versus yeah. saying like, hey, we offer these three different things. And then you can start to track them like, oh, man, I sold five of these packages last month. I can probably sell yeah. 10. And then you start to, to, to move forward incrementally. Exactly. The, the biggest mistake that folks make when they're looking for more revenue is they do one of two things. They add a new marketing channel or a new marketing idea, or they add a new product. And then they do that over and over and over again. So when I get my hands on them, right, I, I work with a lot of people who are stuck and can't figure out why. When I get my hands on them, they've ballooned. They have 25 products and 30 different marketing strategies. Of course, you're not going to go anywhere. That is exhausting. You can't sustain that and everybody gets confused. So we pair it all the way back and say, okay, you're actually... Most of the people I work with are somewhere in the sales stage. You're actually at this kind of, um, you know, piece of the sales stage. So we need to pair all this back, look at what's really the core of the business, and we're going to double down on that. There's a lot of research out there that says you should only, you know, sell, focus on one thing, one marketing channel and one product. I think that's really a hard ask. It's, it's correct theoretically, but it's a really hard ask. I don't think it's a hard ask to say, um, you know, you have kind of two marketing strategies at each of the three stages, you know, awareness, engagement, sales, you can do two things at each of those. So maybe you have six marketing activities going on total, preferably four or five, and those sell, you know, one to three products. If you can be in that world, you're going to be, and, and we're talking about more services here. If you're e-commerce, it's going to look a little different, but if you're kind of higher ticket services, you're going to be in a really good place if you can pare it down like that. Um, Cause then you're just focused. Listen, we're entrepreneurs. We don't have teams of 10,000 backing us. We need to focus our energies in, in one or two directions. Yeah. And I always say like Jim Collins, you know, fire bullets, then cannonballs of, yeah, yeah, maybe you roll out with two or three different things. And once you figure out what's working through validation, then you fire that cannonball, you can focus. So you're right. Exactly. I think the goal, the aspirational goal is to get to that one thing. But when we're first yeah. starting out, we need to test, get feedback, Absolutely. and then we can double down. And that's part of that sales stage too. Not only is it the validate, but that's why I was saying we need to find that product market founder fit because during that sales stage, you're still going to be probably screwing around with three or four or however many different products. And that's okay. That makes sense. 
but you need to be doing it with the goal of figuring out like what really is the best fit so that I come out of that sales stage with a product mix that really makes sense and that you can totally double down on. Now what I want to do within the time we have left is I want to transition and talk about networking that pays. So most yeah. of the podcasts I was listening to, to uh, that you were on, I was so caught up in the five, you know, um, the five stages of growth. I was like taking notes. I didn't get a yep. chance to learn about your network and that pays. So please enlighten me and the rest of our listeners. Yeah. So this is a product and, and a system that I have that really surprised me. It came out completely organically. Um, and it's my way to build the right relationships that can support your business. So when I started my startup, it was in a situation I had to make connections with local government and nonprofit um, officials in different cities around the U.S. I was headquartered in Denver. I had to meet the governments in Boston and Philly and San Francisco and all these different cities. And if you know anything about local governments and local nonprofits, they're not really into some woman from Denver giving them a call and saying that she can help them. Um, they, you know, they're very local centered and they feel very special and they just are not into cold calling and that's fine. They're also not going to join an email list, right? So I had to figure out a way to meet these people and talk to them. I am not um, somebody who enjoys networking. I'm an introvert. I don't want to walk into a room. So I had to figure out a way to make relationships with these folks. Luckily, I had just graduated from business school where I'd actually spent two semesters learning the science of networking. I had no idea this existed. People make a career out of understanding how our networks actually operate and how they function. And so I used that information to develop a system for myself to build relationships with these people that, again, did not feel like it was cold calling because it wasn't cold calling. Um, so that was 10, 12 years ago now. Fast forward about two years ago, and I noticed that all of my clients at the beginning of the sales stage were really, really struggling with building relationships. And that's one of the reasons why everybody went to kind of the ad route or the easy marketing route, because they didn't know how to go from the kind of the friends and family referrals that we all start with into some relationships that could help them collaborate and spread the news. So they just went to the easiest thing. They went from friends and family all the way to passive marketing. And I was like, oh, these people need to know how to build relationships in a way, again, that's not cold calling or just going into random rooms and hoping you run into someone. So I kind of wrote this info in a Google document and started sharing it with my clients. Um, and it just snowballed from there. And everybody was getting a ton of value from it to a point where I had a friend who had a Facebook group of 30,000 and she said, can you please come train them? And if you don't create a course out of this, I'm going to steal your ideas and create it for you because everybody needs to know what it is. So I created the course and have created some trainings on it. Um, and it's really a way of understanding how your network works so that you can go ahead and build relationships with the correct people who will support you instead of just kind of building relationships with anybody who happens to come your way. It's a way of being proactive about building a network around you, again, rather than just saying yes to every coffee chat or LinkedIn um, outreach that you get. You know, for me, I'm a podcaster. So this is one of the ways I yeah. build relationships with people. You know, I get them on here and I get to talk to them and learn a lot about them. And I haven't really used it for direct marketing yet. But the relationships just kind of spread on itself. Um, so that's one way. What are some other ways you've seen uh, your clients get creative and, and create networks that pay? Yeah, so that's exactly one of the um, one of the ideas I give folks is that if you're on a pod, if you have a podcast, you should be spending at least 50 percent 
of your interviews, inter bringing on people who you personally want to meet and want to build a relationship with, because it's a great way. I call it sharing a platform, right? You have a platform that you can offer to folks. Folks find that valuable. And so bring on people who you want to build a relationship with. It's a great way to kickstart a relationship. That's actually how I did it with my startup. I was in a situation, we had a lot of media buzz, but we were struggling to get any sales. So I could land a keynote at any conference I wanted to. Um, but again, I struggled to meet the people I actually needed to meet to sell. So what I ended up doing was I started saying no to keynotes and asking for um, to, to run a panel instead. And then I would call these folks that I needed to meet and I would invite them to be on my panel. Again, they're local government officials, nonprofits. Those folks are flattered to get any kind of publicity. Um, so they would love it. And they would all say yes. And then that kickstarted an opportunity for me. And within a month, they would all be my customer because they were my perfect people. They just didn't want to talk to me. So I just needed a way to meet them. So being able to share a platform with folks is one fantastic way to do it. Another fantastic way to do it is to just thank people. Um, and I encourage people to start doing this every day. It's a gratitude journal of, um, of entrepreneurship. We forget to say thank you. So if somebody has taught you something, even if it's in a passive way, even if you watched a YouTube video, right, and you want to meet someone, maybe they're, this is a great way to meet people who are kind of public um, and might be tougher to meet because you feel like they have a huge audience. If they have taught you something that you have implemented and it's worked for you, please reach out and send them a specific thank you. Don't just say, thanks, I needed to hear this today. Say, hey, thank you. You know, two weeks ago, you shared this video that said to do this and blah, blah, blah. I went and did it. Here's what happened. I wanted to say thank you. A couple of things are going to happen when you do that. Number one, they're going to reply to you because they want to hear more. We don't share things publicly. You don't do your podcast because you like to hear the sound of your voice. You're doing it to help folks, right? And so when people hear that and the people people hear that their free information is actually helping you. They want to know more and they want to have a relationship with you. Selfishly, they may also want a testimonial. So odds are they are going to follow up with you. And that's an opportunity for you to kind of get in and solidify a relationship. And then thirdly, it's just looking for people who, um, you know, who, who share common ground. How can you help each other? I call it an ideal connection avatar. Knowing who else is talking to your audience in a non-competitive way, you guys can pair up. Um, you know, one great example from the wedding industry is the most classic example. You know, every wedding photographer should be um, following up and building relationships with all the floral designers in their town, right? Because there's no reason you guys shouldn't be pairing up and working together. Similar to, you know, we can extrapolate that to any kind of business all businesses' customers are most likely being served by a parallel but non-competitive business. And those are the folks who should be um, who should be in your network. You shouldn't be thinking necessarily about how can I network with my direct potential clients? Because when you're in a situation like that, you are starting over again all the time. Instead, I want to network for you that is there for the for the long term and that you guys can keep working together on. So when you're thinking about who else is serving your customers, but in a non-competitive way to you, how can you pair up and how can you do things together so that you're helping each other along the way and build a network of those folks? If y'all don't get anything else out of this podcast, I want y'all to write that down, right? Yeah. That's a very teachable moment. Networking that pays. I loved your concept about inviting people. On. Who doesn't want to come on a panel? No, yeah. you're putting them on a platform. You're putting them on a pedestal. And then once they're there, they're getting a chance to interact with you and your brand. 
you know? So I think that was a great idea. And there's so much opportunity now. You know, I'm going to plug a book by a guy named James Can- Canberry called uh, Content-Based Networking. And that's what he he calls it. And it's about serving. It's about helping people, you know? And you create platforms and you invite people on the platform to promote them. And at some point during that relationship, they're going to learn about who you are and what you offer. You're going to learn about who they are and what they offer. And even if you don't do business with each other, you're still better positioned to know how uh, you all can help each other. And so that's the concept that he talks about. And it seems like, you know, um, you reemphasize that uh, with networking that pays. And I, I love it. I'm a huge fan. So all our listeners, get out pen and paper, take that down and start to implement it or look for ways that you can implement it in your own business. As we Absolutely. To me, it's a no brainer because, again, that just lasts for years, too. When you're in this mindset of how trying to network with your end clients, that that ends because they signed on with you and now you're starting from scratch. If you're building these relationships of collaborators, it never ends and you can continue to get creative and continue to work together forever. As we start to wrap up, one thing I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about is talk to us about the importance of having someone such as yourself um, in your corner. And I can go first because like we were saying in the pre-call, I, I have a business coach. His name is Bill Watkins. He runs the Lions Pride. I've had him on this podcast. And I was someone that never would have imagined having a business coach. But there was a time in my entrepreneurial journey where I was feeling so overwhelmed because I run a for-profit and a non-profit. And I was seeking, but I didn't know what I was seeking. I was just asking, you know, my incubators. I'm like, do you guys have any executive coaches or anything like that? Like, I didn't even know what it was. I just knew I needed help. And I didn't know if it was a productivity help or something. And then I came across this world of business coaching and starting with Bill. And I tell everyone I come across, like my number one piece of advice for entrepreneurs is to get a business coach. And there's something to be said about investing in it, paying for it. You know, a lot of times we want the free stuff, but there's something about this accountability. And I've just seen it pay tenfold in my personal life and my business life. And so I would love for you to talk about, you know, the work you do at your company. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I, and I would agree. I work with a coach too. I want to be transparent about that because I think, you know, we all have blind spots. Like the cobbler has no shoes. So even though I design business models for folks, I have a really hard time building my own business model because we just have so many blind spots. So that's one real benefit of working with a coach or strategist is just they're going to get you past your blind spots. They're also going to get you past all the mindset stuff that comes up and just to have, be, have a partner there to work through so that you're not sitting in a room alone. Alone and having to figure out all this and finding the courage by yourself every single time. They're also, and, and this is personally the biggest thing for me, going to work on that shiny object syndrome. Because as much as I preach doing the right things at the right times and in the right order and not getting distracted, I love a good creative idea. And as entrepreneurs, that's in our DNA most of the time. We have a million ideas a day. And if you are someone like that, all of a sudden you're going to be the person who has 25 different products and 14 different marketing channels, and you are going to get nowhere. A coach and a strategist can really play that role of reeling you back and helping you see that bigger picture that, hey, this is not the solution. You know, we need to focus in, figure out what's working and double down on that. Just having that extra set of eyes is invaluable. Not to mention the connections and the help that they may be able to, um, you were talking about networking, who else they know is going to be able to help you um, on that journey of yours. How do you, how, how do you talk people to make that shift though? Because I've been there. I know what it's like when you're like, 
my coach, one of the first things my coach told me was, you got to get an admin. You got to get an administrative assistant. You can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting an admin. There's no way. A year later, I love my admin. And you're amazing. You know, then this interview wouldn't even happen if it wasn't for her, you know, getting me yeah. set up and scheduled. And so, again, it's like oxygen. But I know for me, right, I'm already past that point to where I can go pay $1,000 plus for things that I know yep. are going to invest in my, my personal and professional growth. Because I've seen mm-hmm. it happen before. There's a pattern recognition there. But for people that are already so overwhelmed and they feel like they can't get to the next level or they can't afford it, you know, how do you get them to see that mental shift to really just kind of charge that credit card or, you know, start to really invest themselves? Because I bring people business coaches all the time, right? If it's Bill, it's you, if it's somebody else. But it's another thing to get people to like spend that money and invest in it. Yeah, I mean, I would say a couple of different things. Like, number one, be real honest with yourself about is this working for you, right? How's, how's this working out right now? If you're so overwhelmed, if you can't see straight, and if if it's not working, what's the, you know, what do you have to lose? What are the alternatives? And I know that that can feel scary if it is an investment, but most of the folks that I run into, um, are in an untenable situation, frankly. You know, they are stuck, they are spinning, they've been spinning for a while. And so there's a, a there's a question there, like you have to do something. Like whatever the status quo is, is clearly not working. And so now what are your options? And I think people can respect that a lot of times. They understand this is untenable. So maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a strategist, maybe it's hiring someone who knows what it is, but having them recognize like what is happening right now is is not tenable if they're in that situation where they're really overwhelmed. And then the next question is, is, I just, I tell people um, what I see in their business. I don't hide that until the first session. Um, Not everyone is like that, but I feel it's usually pretty obvious to me if somebody is stuck, why they're stuck. And I just tell them. And most of the time that elicits a big aha. And then they're ready to kind of dive in with me. Um, You know, if they're not, then I respect that and I move on. But I just, I feel no desire to say, oh, trust me, I'll tell you, you know, in the first session, we'll figure this out. Like, I'm just going to straight up tell you what I see happening in your business. And if that resonates um, and gives you a sense of relief, then I would hope that we're going to keep working on it. I'll, I'll say this. I'm a three-time national boxing champion, two-time most valuable boxer. I could not imagine competing for a national championship without a coach training me. And yeah. it's a paradigm shift for me now thinking of that. I thought I could build a million-dollar company or a million-dollar lifestyle, a multi-million-dollar lifestyle without having a strategist, a coach, someone in our corner. So I just encourage you all out there, find somebody. And there's a difference when you invest in it yourself, right? Because you're going to fight tooth and nail to get that ROI back. And so, you know, I just, if if it's Michelle, if it's somebody, I'm a big fan of that. I'm open about it. And uh, it's just, I just think it's important. And I I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about that. where can our listeners find you? How can we support you as a community? Yeah, come on over. My website is at themichellewarner.com. You can find me on LinkedIn as well under Michelle Warner. Send me a note. Let me know what I can help you with. On my website, you will find a free training if you want to go through a training about the networking that pays. There's a free training right there. Or you can hop on my email list and you will hear about everything that I have coming up for the whole business stages question. I have a whole slew of things that are coming down the pike for that, that are going to be starting to be released. So if that really made sense to you, jump on my, um, jump on my newsletter list and you will hear about that. Any book recommendations for our listeners? 
Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I am a big fan of Profit First too. That's the first thing that I send all my clients if they are not on that. So that's that's a good one. And then right now I am actually reading two different books. One is um, on the networking side. There's a guy called Robin Dunbar who did a lot of work that I believe in on the networking. He has a new book coming out called Friends um, that again really talks about how our networks function and why they function that way. And one, I don't know if it's a recommendation yet, but I'm excited to dive into it. Uh, it's called Work Clean, and it's about kind of how to. Uh, it, it's it has a little bit of a different take on productivity. Has a little bit of like an engineer's take on productivity in terms of um, in terms of how you product. So it's not a it's not a hustle hustle. It's more of a, a mindset and how to kind of set up your workspace. It's actually is um, it has an engineering take, but it's written by a chef. So we all know that like restaurants are just modes of productivity. So I'm going to start digging into that one and I'm intrigued by it. Well, Michelle, it's been an honor to have you here today. Yeah, I was excited to give Michelle. She tried to send me an email before just in case she had to cancel because of storm. I was like, nope, we can still meet because honestly, I'm just such a fan. I've been listening to your stuff. I've been wanting to get you on here to talk to you. And uh, I picked her brain for like 20 minutes before we even went live. So I just I'm so thankful you were here. I'm a big fan and uh, thank you for spending this time with the bunker and I'll be sure I'll be sure to include uh, links to your website and your book recommendations in the show notes for uh, all our listeners out there. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's only rumbling a little bit. So I bet you didn't even hear the thunder. So I'm glad we went ahead with it. For all our listeners, if you haven't done so yet, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Transition Podcast and newsletter on Substack at the link in our show notes. As a reminder, I release a newsletter every Tuesday and a podcast every Thursday, which I push out via newsletter on Friday. You can leave a comment about each episode on Substack. If you have any questions about your own venture, post that as well. I'm always looking for content and I would love to learn about what you all are struggling with in your own ventures. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review for this podcast on iTunes and shared this show with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from the information. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, visit www.bunkerlabs.org and select a city nearest to you. Sign up for a local newsletter and attend one of our networking events, either in person or virtual. It's that simple. From there, we have programs that'll take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Just register today at BunkerLabs.org. Michelle, thanks again. And for everyone that's tuning in, until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.